Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. First wash all the car, then wax. Wax. Wait, what do I have to wash all the car? Remember, dear, no question. Yeah, but I... Wax on, right hand. Wax off, left hand. Wax on, wax off. Show me wax on, wax off. Yes! 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 Come back tomorrow. I hope most of you have seen that movie, one version or another. Um, the Karate Kid, right? And then kind of the Kung Fu Kid when they remade it. He learns Kung Fu instead of karate. But here's the story if you haven't seen it. Classic, you know, story of a 98-pound weakling that um, is beat up by some bullies. And then um, in that, he finds a new purpose in life, uh, revenge. <laughs> and so he goes and finds a mentor that could teach him karate, and that karate instructor becomes a mentor that teaches him things about life. And, but as part of the instruction, right, for he, Mr. Miyagi, that's the mentor, has him doing uh, meaningless chores, I mean, from dawn until dusk, 10, 12 hours a day. He's got to wax the car, wax on, then wax it off, and then later he's supposed to sand the deck, right, and then paint the fence. And Mr. Miyagi never tells him why. He's just doing it because. And it all appears to have no intended purpose. And pain, right, without purpose, infuriates the soul. Can't, it just can't endure it for too long. And so that's when you see this explosion. And he says, what was all this about? He says, well, show me, show me wax on and wax off. He, wow, I'm, I'm, I've learned martial arts, you know. I don't think it's quite that easy. But here, whenever I see the movie, I think, uh, dear Mr. Miyagi, why don't you just tell him that in the first place? I mean, wouldn't that be a better way of instructing someone so that they can see that there's meaning to the, 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 you know, the burning that's taking place in his, in his arms and his chest and his back? It seems a little pointless uh, to, to lead him on. Because if he knew, right, if he knew, think of how his new sense of, you know, enthusiasm, his commitment, you, look how he leaves. He leaves Mr. Miyagi's house that night going, wow, look at, look at all that I can do. I can't wait for tomorrow. I think, I, I think it's bad. It make, makes for good cinema, I guess. But it's a little bit cruel not to tell the little karate kid why he was doing all those, all those chores. God is not like that. He is not one to withhold purpose of our pain. He is not one to say, well, you know what, uh, because I said so. He, he, he tells us why. And if we understand the purpose of what he's doing in our life, then we can kind of make sense maybe out of the difficulties that we've had. If we know the destination, then we can know the way that we're getting there. So here's what I'm, here's what I'm hoping for today. Here's my goal. I hope today that we all leave with a, like the karate kid left when he went back home with his, oh, I'm starting to see the purpose that God has for my life. I, I can see now, I can better understand, and I can actually grasp how um, um, 
My previous experiences or current ones with waxing on and waxing off are actually contributing towards something. And maybe I can sand the deck and paint the fence uh, with new enthusiasm. I want you to see how that especially applies to your relationships with other people, but also especially, most um, particularly, with marriage. We're going to see how marriage does that. But again, in, in our common, there's a common thread in our relationships. With, uh, it starts with parent-child and then our, our sibling relationships, our, our friends, our significant others. It's all bringing us, all the experiences are bringing us to a purpose. It is to bring us to a, a place, a destination. That's the primary means that God's going to use to bring us there. So the problem is there's so much trouble in relationships, right? You know, and the reason is, is because our souls are broken. They are, they are bent. They are not the way they were designed. They're not the way they were meant to be. And so our relationships, most of them uh, have stories of anger and uh, blame and Usually, each person is trying to just uh, self-preserve. They're just trying to save themselves. It's not the way it was meant to be, okay? We were actually designed for something more, something much better than, than that sort of thing. We were designed uh, to face out. We've talked about in the last couple of weeks, I'll say it again, that God designed us to face out towards others, towards outside of ourselves. And what I mean by that is that... Um, when God made us, right, the, the story goes, the traditional Jewish Christian story goes that when God designed Adam and Eve, he designed them to be fixated on not themselves but others. And so to be enamored with the glory of God, to be uh, enjoying the beauty of creation, to, uh, to gaze upon right, the individual soul that we're looking into, we're, we're looking into their soul, we're enjoying their, the attributes that they have, they're in the image of God. And so while we're gazing at God and gazing at nature and gazing at others, we're not fixated upon ourselves. The, the prototypes, right? They, their intellect, emotion, and will, all three, the souls were turned out so that they could serve. They, they could serve God. They could serve God's purpose for creation. They could serve our, their fellow man. And that's the way they were designed. They, they weren't, they weren't, their ambition was not to get their needs met. Their needs were met by gazing and appreciating God and what he's made, and then by serving God and his creation. Their needs were met by doing what they were designed to do. Innocence, by definition, in this context, innocence is self-forgetfulness. They... <laughs> They didn't even know about shame because they, because they didn't think about themselves. They forgot. They were self-forgetful. And so they could be ambitious, but it wasn't selfish ambition. They were designed to be givers in a world where there absolutely were no takers. And then the story continues that the, a rebellion breaks out. They don't want to be associated with God and his standards and his expectations and his and, and intimacy with him. And that fall was not a curse from God, but it was a natural consequence that their souls turned bent, not from original design facing out, but they bent towards themselves and inward. And that's where we get this idea that we were just in a survival, self-survival. That's when we become intoxicated with getting. We have addictions to the self. We're broken. And it, mo it expresses itself most vividly in relationships. We, we were designed to face out. And here's what I'm proposing, that we need to get back to that place of design. 
And the more we approach that, the, more, the closer we get to the way we were meant to be, facing out in gazing and in serving, the more we were like our true self and self-forgetful. So here's what I'm asking you to consider, that there is a purpose in life, and the purpose was laid out before the foundation of the world, and God has planned ahead of time the relationships that you're involved in and life circumstances so that you would be conformed to this facing out likeness, and there's no better example of that than Jesus Christ, who never was faced in. He was like uh, Adam. He was just like Adam. Sometimes he's called the second Adam. Now, the reason I can say this with confidence is because the Bible says that. He's not Mr. Miyagi. He tells us the purpose of our lives, what God is doing. Look what it says in Romans chapter 8. It says, for, God, uh, for those who God foreknew, he also predestined them to become conformed to the likeness of his son. Okay, that likeness is facing, that, that he might be the firstborn. Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters to come. Let's add our little face out. Let's describe Jesus that way. Look how it looks. For, God who, for whom God foreknew, he also predestined to become transformed. Okay, he's going to do the work there to the likeness of his son who's facing out. He hasn't been bent. So that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters that will also be facing out as he continues to transform them. It says, look at it, it says, it says before time. He predestined us. He has a plan for us, a purpose for us to be in the very likeness of Jesus Christ. Sometimes um, that likeness of Christ is, uh, listen to these adjectives for you, uh, to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's what God's trying to get us to. That's what I'm proposing here today. That, and all the, the waxing on and waxing off is to, get, is to get us there. I mean, think about what it means to be like Christ, right? I mean, he, you can look in his bio, the biographies in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right, the Gospels, and if you could it, have in your mind this value that he's able to do what he does, the things that uh, cause you to pause and marvel because he's not bent in. And while I could make a list of, of many things, look how he's serving others. Look how he, he enjoys others. Uh, two things. Um, courage, right? There's no fear in courage, right, when you're facing out. There's no fear when you're facing out. And so he is able to be more courageous than we could hope to, to be because he's not, he's not trying to survive. And so when... You've seen it in the movies maybe or you've read it on your own, but he's standing before Pilate and Pilate is, is telling him, you know, maybe I can help you out of this because I have the power to set you free. Standing before his executioner, his judge, and he says, I have the power to set you free. And Jesus, <laughs> because he's facing out, he's not threatened by what might happen to him. And listen, without bravado or, or with grandiose pride, you know, this is Sparta, Right? Jesus says, no, no, see, even the power that you have is part of the, a bigger plan, and it's been lent to you by God. And, and so he can have, I mean, I want that kind of chest, right, that, that depth of fortitude. And it comes because he is facing outward um, in compassion, in the context of compassion. Jesus is able to experience or, or to give compassion in ways that we can't because his compassion has has no agenda because there's no agenda in facing out. I mean, wouldn't it be beautiful if you or I could share or help or care or give to some other people without this nagging, right, infestation 
of ulterior motives that keeps haunting us, keeps showing up to the events. I hope I'm noticed, maybe. I hope I get some sort of appreciation. Maybe this will come back around, you know, in a karma kind of way. And, and we know that that's somewhere inside of us when we don't get noticed and we don't get thanked. We say, hey, what's, that's because we're not self-forgetful. When Jesus gives, when he cares, there's no agenda because he's facing out. So, I mean, again, there, you could list dozens of attributes that Jesus has that, we would, that would show us to be perfect and complete um, and, and full, like in the image of Christ, if we spent some time on it. But, but here's the question. We're not going to belabor the point there. Here's the question. How does God get us there? If the destination is this turning out is to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ, right? If that's where we're going, how do we get there? Through relationships. Mostly, you know, it's, if, that's, if that's combat ready, which where the karate kid was trying to get to, then the wax on and wax off, the sand the deck and paint the fence is going to come in the way we interact with other people. And I want you to consider that maybe the disagreements you might have had or some blow-ups or some crashes and burns in, in previous relationships were not random. They didn't happen just, you know, willy-nilly. And the, the experiences you might have had, no matter how painful, they were purposeful. They were to bring you to this understanding that you've turned in. And, and maybe, um, maybe you could have done better if you'd have been more courageous, for example, like we've said, or more compassionate like Jesus, like in the image of Christ. And no relationship uh, shows this glaring need for change quite like marriage, right? I have a a wonderful quote from a, a counselor. She says this, marriage is the merciless revealer, isn't it though? The great white searchlight turned onto the darkest places of the human nature, Turned on the darkest places of human, of human nature. What's that? That's that addiction to self. That's that intoxication with, with getting. And nothing does that quite so clearly as marriage. You can have a roommate. Here's, here's why. Because you can have a roommate for years and you can be great friends and have gone through a lot of life together. But a lot of times when you have your spats and you have these disagreements, whatever they might be, uh, people retreat to their own bedrooms and they get to make a list of all the reasons that your roommate's wrong and, and, right, and your rebuttal and, and how you're going to, in your own mind, if nothing else, show them. Right? The problem with marriage is you walk into that bedroom and your mate follows you. There's, there's no place to hide. Right? And, right, and that's why some people end up on the couch because on the couch they're right. right? It's like, yeah. You know, I might be sleeping on this couch, and I could really use a blanket here, but right here, this is where I'm right. Yeah, she'll see it. She'll figure it out, you know. I mean, stop and think about this. You know, stop and think. It's, it's the good and the bad in relationships that bring us to facing out, right, the highs and the lows. But could you stop and, and just consider the last two difficult times and how maybe how God might be using that to show you that you've, You're bent in. Now, let me just for a second pause. Not evil. Not evil people doing evil things, violation of innocence, those sorts of things. Okay. But but just the the regular wax on, wax off, sand the deck, 
paint the fence sort of thing? Can you see that maybe in, in, in a distant, objective point of view, that you played a part in it because you were bent in and you went to survival mode, and you're, whether it was controlling right, or perfectionism or a lack of courage or compassion, it wasn't like Christ. It was evidence that you needed to be fixed. It, it, we're made to face out, and that's how life works. That's how relationships work. Let me, okay, let me just pile on okay, with this theme. The saints, that's, the saints teach us this work. As a matter of fact, the way they become saints is to become more and more like Christ and more self-forgetful. They, they're gaining more of their innocence back. They're allowing God to work in their life. They're getting closer to the destination than others. That's why they're saints. And so, for example, in 1220, St. Francis of Assisi says this about relationships and how to communicate. He says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. I mean, I mean, that's a bumper sticker for facing out, isn't it? Seek first to understand the other person. Gaze at them, enjoy them, listen to their soul, then to be understood. That, that's the definition. Now, listen, here's what's, the reason I bring him up is because 770 years later, in 1990, Stephen Covey writes a book on how business works. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And this is what highly effective people, this is how it works for them. And he quotes word for word France of Assisi. One of his five steps is seek first to understand, then to be understood. Ten million copies have been sold. And they say, you should turn out. <laughs> That's how we're designed. Look what, look what the forward of the book says. This is kind of on the jacket that explains a summary. Covey, Stephen Covey, the author, Covey, it calls for a paradigm shift. Wow, a whole different way of looking at all of life. A change in perception and interpretation of how the world works. Chapter 5, seek first to understand, then to be understood. You know how the corporate world works? The world, corporate world works facing out. And that chapter is called Empathetic Communications. You see... It's around us. We have all these clues. We have it written in a book called the Bible. And so, just to summarize, you know, we've got to get our soul right, the way it was designed, the way God made it to face out, to be in the image of Christ. That's what it means, right? To be full and complete without, you know, lacking nothing. And relationships is going to be the way that God does that. He's going to help us see our need to change and essentially, he's going to do that through marriage, right? And so that's where the first, the five-word series is, that's the theme of the first, or of, I'm sorry, that's the theme of the five-word series that we're looking at, right? And every week we're going to say, okay, what do we have to do? What's, the, what's kind of the big point? What are we punching home today? So each one of those five words is going to have a, something to drill down on. Today, it's this, okay? This is the introduction. We, we've got to get the power of God's Spirit in your life. That's what I'm offering today. The only way this is going to work is for you to consider this, that, that we have to get the power of God's Spirit in your life, in your relationships, and if married, in your marriage. Now, I, I tell you that for two reasons, two very practical reasons why only God can help us. One has to do with, with a blueprint for marriage. Right, if you're married, what, what's your plan? 
What, and where did it come from? Here's where most people, here's their plan for marriage. One, uh, I'm going to do what my parents did. <laughs> I mean, because you don't know any different. Or, you know, two, I'm going to do just the opposite of what my parents did because I didn't like the way they were buried. And that's what people work from. And then that's one person. And then the other person brings in a different set of blueprints. And so we have to have something from above because otherwise we're just, we're just choosing amongst ourselves and there's no real plan. And you have to, the sooner you get on the same blueprint, the same plan, the same end game, the sooner you can start working together. Can you imagine, from just using the metaphor, how difficult it would be to be a contractor where the husband comes in and says, yeah, I'd like to submit these plans. It's a six-story office building made mostly out of glass and brick. And then the wife comes up and says, yeah, thanks so much for a meeting with me. I would, we're interested in building a one-story little cottage just for the two of us. He can't pour a slab. He can't do, that's what it's like to be working on a marriage with two different blueprints. And here's, here's a proposal. God is the ultimate architect of marriage. He has the design. He has, you know, a structure. He's, he can tell you how it all fits together. He can, he can explain how, for example, on the electronics page, that whole section is like, how does forgiveness work? How do you give forgiveness? When do you not give forgiveness? How about we turn to, you know, structures? Let's look at uh, compassion. How does one give compassion? How does one receive it? How do we do this? Mer God God has a blueprint for us where all these things fit together. There's two, ultimately, there's only two sources of blueprints. There's a vertical one from God, and he says, I invented this. I know how it works. And there's a horizontal that just kind of goes along, and it's cultural, and it changes, and there's, you never know if you're there. The five words that we're going to look at, the first three are the out, you know, just the frontage, you know, the, 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 the picture of what marriage looks like. Those three words, leave, cleave, and one. That's the destination. We're going to spend our time learning how do we get to what leave looks like. The next two, it's like how does a woman work, essentially? Boy, we'll spend four weeks on that. But, <laughs> or years. But so, it, what, How does a man treat a woman? In the, in the last week, our, our fifth word, how does a woman treat a man? How does a man treat a woman, and then how does a woman treat a man? The whole point is that now that we have a blueprint and we understand where we're going, now we can see, now we can make sense out of the difficulties in a life and the struggles. If we can grasp this idea that God has a purpose, and, he's gonna, and the purpose is to get us to face out, is to turn our souls the right way, okay, to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, like in the image of Christ, then all the wax on, wax off, the sand, the deck, the, right, the paint, the fence, like, yeah, I want to do that. That's getting me right in competition condition. That's going to make me right. And look, we can see how all of suffering in many respects, in the context, especially in the context of a marriage, can work to make us better. Let me give you one sentence or a couple sentences from James that's often quoted and memorized by followers of Christ but about, about purposeful suffering. And I want us to see how it could apply to what we've learned so far. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Look, consider a pure joy. Joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face various trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish the work so that you might be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, there's a purpose for the whack. Look, look let's do this. Let's just change it around. Let's add our stuff. 
Okay? Consider it a pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you are waxing and sanding and painting and it feels like there's no purpose in it, okay? but you know that there is. Right? You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance is going to finish its work so that you could turn out and be like you were meant to be. You were meant to be like Jesus Christ. That's why you have to have this blueprint. That's why I'm appealing to you today saying, let's get God and his supernatural power in your life, in your marriage. The second reason is because you're going to need the power to change. You're going to absolutely, you're going to find out in marriage, especially when we go through those five words, you're going to say, wow, uh, (laughs) I need reinforcements. Uh, Maybe I need to absolutely change me in an essential level. The marriage brings two broken people, two bent people together. And let's just assume the best, okay? That when we injure each other, it's not intentional, right? It's, it's, it's clumsy. It's, um, uh, it's a manslaughter sort of thing. It's an accidental homicide that we're doing to one another. I know there's times in anger and rage, and I know there's bad people. I get that, but let's just assume the best. And I want you, I want you to hear that the, the problem is not necessarily the, the particular circumstances or the argument. The problem is that we are bent in. And that's going to change everything that we do. It, it motivates all of our behavior and our values. And I have found that you have, to get, you have to get fixed vertically before you can fix a marriage horizontally. You have to be fixed by God and his power over your soul. He can transform you and, and, and nothing else can so that you can have a marriage that's fixed. Because what, what drives us what causes the outburst of anger? What causes us our, our, our need for control or the things to work out we want, right? Where, where is all this frustration coming from? Primarily, primarily, it's coming from you're trying to get from other human beings what you're supposed to be getting from God. And it's not working because they're bent and broken too. But, but, I mean, let's a couple of good examples. You're trying to love your mate with, look at you, with your coffee cup, your cracked coffee cup full of love, and you're just going to pour it into theirs, and then they're going to pour it into yours. And it's this, it's this vertical love that no matter how much you have it, it's never enough. And, again, you bring God into this and says, look, now you've got your coffee cup being filled by this waterfall, and now it's, over, it's the overflowing love of God that you're giving to your mate. Acceptance, you, you go... You, you want other people's acceptance instead of relying on your acceptance from God, which allows you to be calm and confident because there's confidence in that, knowing that God would, that loves you and never forsake you, and now you can face out. If you're not transformed by God's power, you, missed, you miss so many moments of ministry. You'll have, you, have, you have your anger outbursts, and you have these arguments, and and if, if you minimize these arguments and these dif- disagreements and, and you, you take it in a shallow context, then you're just going to say, well, right, I'm so sorry, honey. Yeah, me too. And, and we just, we'll just see what we can do to make sure we don't get in those circumstances again so that we won't have these outbursts again. When that's not the problem. And you could have, because the problem's deeper. And here's, at Grace, we believe that every believer's a minister. I mean, every believer is a minister. It's something we say, we say that a lot here. And, and hear this, that you are the primary minister to your mate. You're the one guy. You're the pastor of, 
of your relationship. And if you don't see that God's out to change deep-seated needs that you need to get from him and you're getting them from other people, then you'll miss this ministry opportunity to care for the one that God has given you to care for. Let me, let me give you, I'll give you a story, and so that'll help you uh, maybe understand. Um, so this happens, you know, uh, life starts coming unraveled in a person's life, and uh, beca- right, I mean, the, the not going well at work, you know, the dog even hates you now, and the car doesn't work, and your friends are finding themselves having a more difficult time being around you, and so you're staring up at night, staring at the ceiling, saying, you know, hello, darkness, mild friend, here we go again. And so, you know, if you keep, if you keep it superficial, then your mate says, they're there, you know, we'll get through this. But if you see that what God's purpose is, is, to, is, is God's working on them, then you can say, wait, wait, okay, listen, okay, honey, listen, you know I love you, and I never want to hurt you, but you need to brace yourself because I'm going to tell you something, and it will hurt. That this argument we had and the, and the fight that just ensued, it wasn't about you, and it wasn't about me. It was about what God is doing in your life. This is wax on, wax off. It's a purposeful pain. You're, you're turned in. And you're, and you're getting your approval from, from, from people outside. You want your significance to be tied to your, you know, your, maybe your, your zip code or your income or your physical fitness or whatever it might be. And these things are being taken away because it's all about you. Right? And he's put you in time out so that you can start to see that there's an end to this. And there's a purpose in the suffering, okay? And so you might have to wrestle with God for a week or a month or whatever, and I'm there for you, okay? I'm there for you. And if, if we have to live out of the car, what an adventure that would be. But this is not something that's passing, okay? This is something where God has run out of patience with you, and he wants to put an end to this turn in. It is, your, it is your destiny to be in the image of Christ, and that's why we're having troubles. That's a powerful ministry moment, isn't it? And a person can say those things because they have security and face out, and they see the purpose that God has for them. They see the big picture that God's trying to change us from the inside out and all of the things that motivate us. What happens in marriage because it is this spotlight, right, is we get to a place where we realize there's an illness in me that only Jesus Christ can fix. And, and these um, behavioral modifications can only take this so far, and I'm going to need a supernatural intervention. And that's the power of God's Spirit. And that's why I'm asking you, would you let God's Spirit have power in your life to give you a blueprint and also to change you. Let me just, just review. There is a purpose in life. God said it, and he's arranged this before the foundations of the world. It says he's destined you to become conformed to the image of his son. Perfect, complete, right? Without things missing. It, it means turned out the way we were designed. And life is filled with suffering that is waxing on and waxing off, and it's purposeful, and the purpose is to bring us to that. And marriage Relationships have the power of doing that, but marriage cuts deepest and cleanest. And it exposes our need for radical interior transformation. 
We bring God into our conversations. We bring God into our marriage because he gives us a blueprint and he gives us the power to change. So here, here's what we need to do, okay? Here's what we need to do. Let's finish these five weeks together. Let's see what the plan looks like and see how his spirit can change us to help us, right? And here's what that means. You know, if it's worth having, it's worth working for. So look, here's what I want you to do. If you haven't bought one of these notebooks, right, they're in the lobby. We ran out last week, but we made a bunch more. It cost a dollar. A reason I want you to consider these notebooks, get buying a notebook, I want you to think deeply about the, the conversation that we have on Sunday morning and see how it could apply to your life. I want you to be exposed to, to writers that have unusual insight into how we can be transformed by God's power, how we can stop being enamored with our own self. I want you to consider taking the test that some of us took earlier in the summer. This, uh, it's a couple's checkout. It, it takes like 15 minutes. It's much shorter. I'm very impatient with these things, and I was um, amused at how quick it was. It cost $25. That's 30% off because the, the, the group that did this is giving our church this discount for two weeks. This is the number one company in, in the world that, that looks at diagnostic work for husbands and wives and even, you know, significant others and engaged couples. And it's going to do, it's going to say, okay, how does your communication look? How does uh, your conflict resolution look? How does your financial ambitions look? How is your spiritual life in sync? How, what's your intimacy life looking like? $25. You'll spend more than that on a happy hour date. Okay, two weeks. Take this thing. Look at it. The data is confidential so that you two can look at each other and say, wow, this is where we're turned in. This is kind of where we need to turn out. Final appeal. If anything is worth having, you've probably noticed this in life, it's, it's, gonna, it's worth working for, and it usually requires work. It's very difficult to get something that is worth anything for free, and a great marriage is worth the work. Okay? Life difficulties, they have purpose, and the purpose is to turn us out. And it is, the deeper it goes, the harder it is. But God wants us to be gazing. He wants us to be focusing out. He wants us to enjoy his splendor. He wants us to enjoy his creation. He wants us to enjoy other people. He wants us to serve. We are built to serve. Serve him and others. Every marriage needs divine intervention. Every marriage needs uh, God's wisdom. Every marriage needs help because the marriage pushes us to our limits and, and exhaust all of our personal resources and then teases us by saying there's so much more if you ask, if you surrender, if you give your life to, to Christ. So don't settle, okay? Wherever your marriage is, don't settle. Do not, do, don't, you know, if you've gone to, like, I guess as bad as it could be, it's just a Cold War truce, right? You could have real love. Right? If, if you've settled for low-grade bitterness, it's because you've settled for that and not gone into real confession and, and real forgiveness because that's available to you. If you're still talking about your rights and seeing if the, <laughs> right, if the, if the marriage is balanced in who's giving how much, God wants so much for your marriage. He wants an abundant life for you to experience. Please Please consider lusting for more. I want you to consider joining us and just learning how to love. Love requires us to, to be instructed and then to try and then get hurt and then come back and try again. And 
It's, look what, again, Catherine Ann writes again. It says, love must be learned and then learned again and again. There's no end to it. Hate needs no instruction but only waits to be provoked. Boy, truer words, right? It is worth the work. No matter how far down the wrong path you've gone, you've worked on a set of blueprints and they're not even remotely like the way you you were designed to be married. Listen, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how far you've gone. The sooner you turn around, the sooner you can catch up, right? The lost ground. And it doesn't, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter how bad your marriage is. The, the, The pastor in charge at this church of our marriage ministry was a signature away from divorce. All he had to do was sign the paper. And then they call it a day, I hope I never see you again. And instead of the dude signing the paper, he looked at his, his wife and just said, let's just wait a month. And then in that time, they said, why don't we let, part one, why don't we let God in on this marriage? Let's see what he could offer us. That's not his story. That's God's story. His story was the first several miserable chapters And then God says, just let me in there. Let me write. If you surrender your life to God, you're going to surrender dreams and hopes and what you have planned. And I, I have never met a human soul that didn't surrender those dreams and trade up. He has so much more. He has more than you could ever ask or imagine in your life and in your marriage. So do this. Want what's best. Want what God has to offer. Be willing to wax on and wax off. Desire to be in the image of his son turned out. Join us. Join us as we do this together, okay? Let me pray for us. And then um, we have a lovely song that will help us do that. Lord Jesus, I lift up our church to you and the marriages here and the uh, people that might be married someday and the people that are just working their way through life, that they can see uh, anew maybe some of the things that they've experienced in life and see it with a perspective now that there was a purpose to that, that it wasn't meaningless and you're not cruel, you're not mischievous. You tell us clearly what what motivates you and what our, our destiny is. And so, Lord, I'd ask that we would, you, your spirit would give us new insight to that. Lord, I'd ask that this church would be filled with people that want more from you and are willing to surrender to get it. Lord Jesus, let us see that what you are needing to do in our life requires a supernatural transformation and that we would release our agendas and dreams and control so that you might work magic in us. Lord, let us be a church filled with people that understand um, truth and love in relationships. That we would be a church that turns out, full of souls that are turned out, uh, mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Let us be that, Lord, for you, just for your glory, your joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.